forget. Hey, how do we do it? By finding women who are down. How do we find them? By putting out respectful feelers on the internet. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast. Cause it's a very good podcast. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a funny, 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 funny show. Sick and Wrong Podcast is a wonderful podcast. It's a miraculous podcast. It's like the best podcast in the whole wide, wide, wide world. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon. Hello, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo, it's a great weekend in L.A. Why is it a great weekend in L.A.? It's Coachella weekend. And uh, when you move here, you'll find out, like, uh, Coachella comes once a year, but it's two weekends now. So it's this weekend and next weekend. And all the douchebags just leave. Like, all the douches. It's like an exodus of douchebags. They leave, they go to the desert, and so there's like almost no traffic. You can go to restaurants, you don't have to queue. Um, bars aren't crowded. It, it almost like driving around almost reminds me of the pandemic days. It's great. By douches, you mean the influencers. They've all left and it's just the regular people left behind. Yeah, I mean, maybe the olds. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe that's why I like it. But yeah, like all the influencers, all the annoying fucking assholes of Los gone. Angeles that listen to music of the bands that play, you know, listen to the bands that play Coachella, they're all gone. They leave. They leave the city for two weekends in a row, and, and it's heavenly. The, the only thing that would make it better <laughs> is I wish there was some kind of weird, you know, uh, Coachella COVID variant that makes everyone spontaneously combust after having explosive diarrhea. I think that's in the works. You think so? The Coachella people, yeah. Coachella crime. You remember that that viral video from a few years back when it was that that original prankster guy or whatever who was there interviewing people asking them if they'd heard of this band that was playing Coachella and he was just making up nonsense words yeah and people were just like yeah I love them I love that band I always wanted him to do that and say Asian babes I was waiting for it for him to say yeah and Asian babes I'd be like that's my band yo it's very self-serving Kate Rambo yeah well it could have happened (laughs) But, you know, they could have, but in all honesty, the the guy could have made up any name. And those idiots at Coachella would have been like, oh, yeah, I just saw them play. They were great. Mate, there's a band called Car Seat Headrest. You can fucking name your band any fucking tripe name nowadays. Nobody tries anymore. Nobody tries. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean, even if it's like a, you know, completely fictional band, it's like people are still going to say they love it. Because you want to look cool at uh, at Coachella. The the only good thing cool about Coachella is that it pulls people out of Los Angeles for a weekend, and I enjoy it. Um, this weekend also is uh, is uh, it's Easter weekend um, and Passover. I didn't even realize that it was Passover. I'm such a bad Jew. I just didn't even occur to me. I didn't even think about it until Ryan Keeley texted me. She's like, "You want to come over for a seder?" And I was like, "There's a lot of weird things going on here," you know. First of all, I didn't even know it was Passover. Second of all, why are you having a Seder? You're not even Jewish. Is the Seder the thing where you have like the leek and the, the matzah cracker and uh, a chicken bone? Is that that day? Well, it's not really. A, it's, a, it's like a lamb shank, 
Don't know about the leeks. Um, but there is a uh, there's matzah being eaten. It's like a it's it's like a meal with a service within a it sucks. Put it that way. It sucks. <laughs> it's long. Like I, my my father would do like a like a three hour seder every year. Whereas I've been to like I remember I went to my cousin's seder, you know, a few years ago and it was like fifteen minutes and I was like, What the fuck? My whole life I've had to like sit through this like two and a half hour ordeal. When other Jews are just doing it for like fifteen minutes and then eating, do you food. get drunk? Do you well, that's the, that is the, the good thing. Wine? You do get uh, four glasses of wine at my house. Woo! It was Manischewitz uh, when we were growing up, but like normal Jews have actually regular wine, so you do actually get to drink a lot of wine. Four reg- glasses is quite a lot of wine, you know, especially for a kid. Yeah. Um, but regardless, it was just kind of weird. I'm like Ryan Keeley is having this porn star is having a Seder. And so she has a lot of Jewish friends and I guess she grew up next to Jews. So she's like, you know, I want to, want to have a Seder, not a real Seder, but she like, you know, has cooked a few food and all that. So I was like, all right, I'm down. Well, it turned out she had like, uh, there was a, a delay on set. So, uh, like yeah, everything porn was pushed emergency. back. So a porn emergency. It was a porn mishap. So she had to cancel the whole night, but she still had people over because she had cooked all this like Jewish food. So, um, so I was like, all right. So we went over there, uh, pretty much got stoned, ate some pretty good food, and uh, watched the new uh, Jackass movie, which just came out, Jackass Forever. Now, you're a big fan of Jackass, but you don't want to watch the new movie. I, I have gives, like principles surrounding this new movie. I just kind of feel that, Obviously, they're older now, and they're going for the old men hurting each wrangle, which is fine. I mean, you've got to Wait, so you're an ageist? I'm kind of ageist with it, yeah. I think it's a young man's game, and they're trying to do, like, yeah, old people, like, um, what was the Johnny Knoxville bad grandpa, old grandpa? That was, like, funny for 10 minutes. Bad grandpa was great. That was fun. I like when he does the old... I like when he does the old people bit. I also... Yeah, I am ages because I don't want to see these these men that I used to wank to when I was younger. Although hot, Johnny Knoxville is still hot, he's an old man, but like I don't want to see Chris Pontius age. I just so don't. don't. I want him to Wee be man? young and virile. What about Wee Man? Do you still <laughs> wank to Wee Man? He can't, he can't get uh, much older. He's so little. No, the midget, age won't affect him. Midgets and dwarves don't age. They do not. They just no, stay they magical don't. forever. Yeah. And also, to me, jackass. Jackass is like Big Brother and CKY molded together. And this just, because Bam's not really in it, I just like, even though Bam isn't my favorite, I've definitely talked about this on the second show before. Bam is not my favorite, but I just feel to exclude him and to kind of push out the CKY element is not what Jackass is. It's just Big Brother uh, making a shit movie, making shit again. And I just like, I don't need to see that. Well, I think you're being harsh and exclusionary, Kate Rambo, because Bam wasn't it. Bam wasn't. I know Bam had some substance abuse issues, which violated his contract, um, but he wasn't it. He was in um, a few different scenes, the marching band scene in the beginning, if people saw it. Uh, there was a segment, they call it Silence of the Lambs, that, uh, that Bam was in it. And uh, the triple wedgie scene with Wee Man, which was gnarly, to say the least. He was in, I think they tried to cut out his scenes, but they couldn't. So he was in that one. And there were actually a couple other guys from CKY were in it. Um, the only person who was definitely not in it was Ryan Dunn. Oh, yeah. See, that's <laughs> another thing that makes me sad is I really loved Ryan Dunn. Like Haggard and all of that. He was one of my favorites. What do you want, to, what do, you want them to do? Like dig him up 
and like put them just like, like prop them up on a stick. Why don't they just move on with their fucking lives and go and make different projects? There doesn't need to be jackass in the world now. When I was 15 to 20, those were the glory years. And this is what I don't like is that people think things should continue on. It's okay for things to just end, to stop and to be like, this is the end. Stop, like just stop guys, stop. Like, like this podcast? Exactly like this podcast. It's okay for it to just end and to stop <laughs> at a moment's notice. And that might happen soon. Um, but, you, you know, I don't know. I was kind of of two minds of it. Because at one one point, it's like, yeah, I agree. It's like Jackass had its heyday at one time. And I thought, you know, it, it, like the first movie was very original. And the second one even still had some decent stunts. And at yeah. this point, you're like, you guys are just kind of trying to make money. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they're, you know, they have new stunts. Same guys are pretty much in in the uh, in this movie, and they're trying to usher in a new generation for a new, you know, younger audience, new people with uh, with a new Jackass crew. I don't so, want to see the new Jackass crew. I also don't want to see this. I don't, I don't want know, to see two women in Jackass. They do not belong there. It's a boys' club, much like this podcast was until I came along. <laughs> all in all, though, uh, I actually wasn't too impressed with the film. I think um, one of the things is like the you know. Not to sound like a vegan, but uh, there were a lot of like animal stunts, which I don't know. I just didn't find really. I never liked that wild boys thing that uh, Steve O and uh, Pontius did, where they're like jumping on sharks and shit. Uh, Again, different times though. Wasn't yeah, it? but they I could also get away just, with that back then. I know, but I also wasn't really impressed with it even at that time. You know, I didn't think it was like novel. I just thought it was actually kind of cruel, kind of mean. And this is the same kind of thing. Like they had this one. I mean, it was a cool idea for a stunt, but they had like Wee Man. They put a bunch of meat in Wee Man's underwear. Like they gave him like this kind of like a jock strap filled with meat. And then they had a, a real fucking vulture come out of a crate at night. I'm pulling out pieces of meat out of his crotch and he was screaming. But I mean, the animal obviously was stressed out by this. There's this trainer who looks like some guy that they, they, they hired from like Payless shoe store to be their animal trainer. <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I, I just don't see how that is, is good for the animal. And then, the, you know, they, one of the, the new, um, the new jackass crew people was this, a girl, like this, this woman named Rachel Wolfson, who, uh, I mean, I gotta say, she's got bigger balls than me. But they like did this thing where it was like Eric Andre was there. They did have a couple good celebrity um, cameos, except except Machine Gun Kelly. Why the fuck would Ugh. you have that guy? Why would you want to associate with that guy? Bring back uh, the cameos of Jimmy Pop and Chris Naratko. I say bring them back. Better than Machine Gun Kelly. But anyway, yeah. they had this scene with uh with uh Eric Andre where they're doing like plastic surgeries or like you know you're at the plastic surgeon and they had an actual scorpion sting this girl's lips like six times. And I don't know. I mean, I just kind of and then the the, the new guy Poopies they call him was kissing the Poopies. face of a rattlesnake, and it was yeah, like biting him in the face. Yeah, I don't like any of this. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, there were a couple, you know, there were a couple uh, uh, funny ones. Um, I couldn't believe Knoxville actually, like, did a repeat of the bull, like, facing down a bull. I mean, at his age, it's like he could die doing that <laughs> He's, one. like, four years older than you. <laughs> I know, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have done it then. I definitely wouldn't do it now. Um, at his age? Oh, oh <laughs> They had one guy, uh, uh, Dave England, just they dump, like, I don't know how much pig semen. 
just all over him. And How do you it, even collect that much pixie, man? I, I, I guess feel bad they, for the person who had to do that. Well, they went to, uh, I don't know, went to a facility that does breeding and just got like, I don't know. I mean, it was like a vat of pig seam, of pig cum. It was fucking gnarly. Um, they had a Steve-O um, ended up using his penis as a bee. There are a lot of penises, actually. You might like it. You might have liked this part. A lot of I do penises. agree with the penis aspect of it. I agree with that. A lot of penises in this one. Um, but I, I don't know. All in all, I, I got to say, I wasn't all that impressed and at times a, a bit bored. So I don't know. Maybe it's jump the shark at this point. Maybe you don't need jackass. Maybe do something different. You know, that's why I liked about bad grandpa is something different, you know, as opposed to trying to do the same thing. And the, the grand finale, like, do you recall like in the one jackass movie, I don't remember if it was the second one or the first one, they pulled a prank within a prank. It was very meta. Like, they got the guy to put on, like, the pubic beard. They gl- super glued a oh, beard yeah, of Oh, yeah, Aaron McGeehee, and it was pubes. Oh, yeah. it was amazing what they did with that. And he was that. an Islamic terrorist, yeah and, yeah. and that was, like, the finale. This one, I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it, but I got to say, like, I was just sort of sort of unimpressed. I didn't, think, uh, I didn't think it ended all that well. But anyway, we were talking about it, and obviously talking about Johnny Knoxville and kind of what the jackass people do. And then someone mentioned, have you seen Being Evil? And I was like, I forgot that uh, Jeff Tremaine, you know, uh, uh, jackass uh, producer in Knoxville, um, did a whole documentary on Evil Knievel. So yeah, I went I've not seen and it. Uh, I have yeah. heard about it though. Well, you know, so I went and uh, procured the movie by quote unquote legal means and um, spent some time watching it the other day because, you know, as a kid. I think at my age, and a lot of people my age out there would agree, I was, I idolized Evil Knievel. I thought that guy was the coolest. I mean, it inspired like a, you know, inspired a generation of people my age to like try to pull off stunts. Like I remember uh, I made a homemade ramp on my bike and tried to rant, like try to jump. Um, It was over my sister and one of her friends. And uh, I just didn't even make it. I just like went right into a wall cut my head open uh, but still at the same time i mean I, okay i'm not I'm not the most coordinated jew in the world um but i was still you know very like uh i admired evil knievel i mean the guy was the original daredevil um in this documentary i would say you know after doing some research and you and i um kind of did dug deep into evil's character and you know he he was a controversial figure um yeah, i would okay. say rather hypocritical at times, um, but definitely uh, a complex character, uh, more yeah. than what most people see. Because I, I, mean, I think when everybody thinks about it, you think of fearless daredevil, American, you know, good, you know, fearless, you know, wearing his stars and stripes in the face of death while he's jumping over, like, the, the Grand Canyon. But there was definitely, an, you know, an underlying, there were underlying demons in the Ooh, character yeah. of Evil Knievel. Um, but fascinating guy. And, the, and one thing that, um, you know, Knoxville brings up in this documentary is how many people he influenced. Tony Hawk, Travis Pastrana, Matt Hoffman, like everybody, anybody who's in the X Games, anybody who's like a motocross performer, you know, any, um, you know, skateboarder. We all loved Evil Knievel, you know, and it's like and I think uh, he was kind of the forefather of, uh, of, of, of Daredevil sports. You know, I don't think anyone really ever would have thought of jumping over, 
you know, buses on a motorcycle before that. Yeah. There would you know, be no jackass without Evil Knievel, and there would be no Matthew McConaughey without Evil Knievel. Oh, yeah, McConaughey. But we'll get to this. But McConaughey oh, actually yeah, spoke will. at his funeral, like eulogized him. Uh, but that's the thing. Evil was a larger-than-life character. I mean, he was, I wouldn't say as famous as Elvis, but he was up there. And he oh, definitely yeah. was inspired by the king. But I think all those guys, all the stuntmen, um, you know, all the extreme sports people, all the jackass type uh, dudes owe a debt of gratitude to uh, to Evil Knievel. So before we get into the life and crimes of Carney Con Man, Evil Knievel, um, I want to share a quick uh, few words about the the Sycamore Patreon page. So the other day, um, you know, Abe, uh, we we do a lot of work on the page. We do a lot of work on the show. Been doing a lot of work on the show for a long time, and uh, especially now with Patreon. You know, we do a whole second show and then uh, not to mention Sick and Wrong News and, and Overkill and Kate's been doing the killer cooking segment. But the other day I, w- I was doing the maths on how many listeners actually support us on Patreon versus how many download the main show every week for free, which, was, you know, the main show is free and it'll always be free. And I'm not even shitting you. It's literally 2.9% of our audience support us on, on Patreon. <laughs> Wow, what a and bunch of freeloaders! <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I can understand. I don't, it's not like I expect everyone to like give us money, and I don't like to beg for money. But it's you know, it's like give back a little after you know enjoying something for so long. And we're not even we're asking for like two bucks, you know, five bucks yeah. a month. It's like you know, it's not like I'm asking for like a hundred dollars here. But it's it kind of gave me a bit of an existential crisis, you know, over the show. You know, so in over 16 years, 16 years, I've never missed a week of doing this program. But recently, you know, recent, I would say like the past few months, you know, ever since I got my new job, it's, it's difficult to find the time to record. I mean, I, I usually actually, actually have to work my regular job during the week, like on the weekends, as well as during the week. And then on top of that, we're trying to find time to fit in, you know, the hours that we spend recording the show. And I want to keep doing the show weekly, but I got to say, there might be some major changes in the next few months if we don't, you'll get a little more support from our audience. You know, we're doing more on Patreon, as I said before, than ever, than we've ever done before. We're giving you guys a lot. Like, second show is a lot of fun. This week, we had John Steele on. Um, oh, yeah. A couple episodes back, we had Joe Kelly. You know, it's, it's fun. And I actually do have a lot of fun doing, uh, doing the second show. And... You know, and, and we're not really asking, you know, you guys to like, you know, get a second mortgage here to support the show. But even two bucks a month would make a difference. You know? Yeah, it just shows that you do support something. Like, I'm a patron of, like, I get it. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm a patron of, of a podcast. Like, I've been Dead Bugs patron since like 2018. You've but, been a patron of Sick and Wrong for a few years, too. Yeah, I've, I'm still a sick and wrong patron. I still <laughs> subscribe to the patron of sick and wrong um, back in the Harrison days. It just shows that you supporting something, you're supporting a supporting community, you're, art, supporting, you know? you're supporting art. And I'm like totally down for that. It's like I will buy the record of a band I like. I won't just download their music. Well, you, I mean, you know it's not I'm like, saying? you know, we make that much money from Adam and Eve or, or, or T Public. I mean, literally, T Public, I think I get a dollar anytime. We sell a shirt. And Adam and Eve, I, I can't even remember last time I got any money from that. 
So the only way we even make any money off the show is Patreon. So we're just asking you to help us keep it, you know, sick and wrong, keep the show going on a weekly basis. And signing up for the singer on Patreon, you know, help us keep the show going. Anyway, now that that's out of the way, let's talk about Evil Knievel. <laughs> yeah. All right. I got, so, uh, I got, we got some pictures, we got some videos, so bear with me, people. I'm going to try to show all of this. We're going to get into it. I actually found a really cool little segue about, we were just talking about Jackass, which was a big part of my life when I was 15. But when I was 15, there was another big part of my life, and that was wrestling. WWF wrestling. Yeah, you were really so Vin- into wrestling. Well, you still are, actually. You're wearing a I'm Stone like, Cold no, Steve. I'm not You're like wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt right now. Yeah, I do have a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt <laughs> on right this moment. I love the Attitude Era. Me and Steele were talking about it on on the Patreon. So Vince McMahon, the one and only. There's only one Vince McMahon. He was hopelessly in love, and it wasn't with Linda D. It wasn't with long suffering Linda. It was 1974. This is long before steroids and WWF. He was 28. He was pretty much broke. He'd spent the last of his savings buying a plane ticket to Big Sky Country because he's going to follow his heart's desire. And what did Vince McMahon want more than anything? In fact, what did most of the country want more than anything in the 1970s? They all wanted to see the wild turkey field stuntman and bullshitter beyond compare. Evil Knievel, not his real name. They wanted to see him jump the Snake River Canyon. Of course, we all did. Yeah, and you can see the footage on YouTube now. Evil was a self-described mix of Liberace and Elvis, but on a motorcycle. His death-defying jumps, although he was barely alive after some of the jumps, his Elvis-inspired all-American star-spangled jumpsuits and rock star swagger, it caught the hearts of the American public and the worldwide stage, too. Millions of kids and adults, they would skin their knees and end up in A&E after being inspired to build ramps and jump over their sister and their sister's friends with their push bikes, just like their hero. He is a hero. I mean, look at this guy. He's got this, like, jumpsuit on. He's got He's the sexy. buckle with EK. Um, the cape. My favorite thing was the cane, which uh, if when he unscrewed the cane, it was actually a flask with wild turkey. I, yeah, it's that's hard. Sexy. I mean, seriously, he's the original badass. Like, it's hard to like think of who. I mean, a lot of actors you could say like James Dean, Robert Mitchum, people like this that played badasses in film. Those guys weren't jumping over fucking canyons. They weren't jumping over like fifteen buses. That's what evil. Take back that. Does. Take back what you just said about Bob Mitchum because he's a fucking badass. I mean, he it's, definitely it's a is chain on film. Gang at the age of 10. He, he definitely back. is on film. But, I mean, I don't know. Compared and in real e- life, too. Compared to Evil Knievel, <laughs> I think it's objectionable. Well, okay, so Bob Mitchum, he never had toys made in his likeness. Toys were never made in Bob Mitchum's likeness. That sold in millions. How many like, canyons did uh, Bob Mitchum jump over? Just curious. Uh, how many joints did Evil Knievel smoke? Because Bob Mitchum has smoked more weed than anyone alive. Does that make a badass of people smoking weed? Because I know a lot of people who smoke way more weed than Bob Mitchum does in their In the fucking 50s it did, baby. When it was fucking highly illegal, it was going to ruin your career. It's just smoking weed. This is a second second show. Evil, he lived a rock star lifestyle. He had a garage full of sports cars. He had tons of jewelry. Jewelry that would make Elizabeth Taylor burn with jealousy. He even had his own private jet at one point, very Elvis with uh, Lisa Marie. But all of this was kind of built on a lie. 
Uh, he's he's definitely printed the myth. So he was born Robert Craig Knievel on October the 17th, 1938. So he's a Libra and air sign, which is actually ironic considering how much airtime he would actually get. He was born in Butte, Montana. His parents had married young. Um, his father, Bob, was just 21. His mother, Anne, was 17. The marriage doesn't, didn't last. Of course, it wouldn't. They divorced. Bob headed to California and Anne decided that she wanted her freedom too. So she just dropped off baby Evil and his brother Nick at Bob's parents, um, Iggy and Emma. And she headed for the bright lights of Reno, Nevada. <laughs> in fact, she's in Butte, Montana. And she's like, hey, where's a bigger shithole? I'll go to Reno. Reno. I imagine Reno is probably a bigger, at least in casinos and things like that. Yeah. It was a rough childhood for both the brothers. Iggy was basically bipolar he would go months without talking they didn't have any money emma liked reading books and being shy she was retiring she wasn't ready to raise like two hellcats and they're kind of stuck in buttfuck buke and this led to evil rebelling he wasn't a good student but he was a great athlete and his love of danger and mischief it basically meant he was constantly in trouble in lee montville's book evil he details one of his most dangerous high school what he would call pranks. This is what Evil Knievel put down as pranks. He convinced several of his classmates to give him their belts. He used them to tie the school's library's door shut. He then placed two large wastebaskets in front of the bound doors and he lit them on fire. Great this prank. Is a prank. Let's just burn down the school. He's trying to burn. It's like a, a carry moment. Yeah. His target was the school librarian. Uh, no one knows, but that was his ultimate nemesis. He hated this school librarian. What, he just didn't like to read? He just hated her. Fire trucks are called to the scene. He faced punishment, but he deemed it as worth it in the end. Ne'er-do-well. He's causing so much trouble. Yeah. He's a ne'er-do-well. After junior year, he was 16. He was kicked out or he dropped out of high school. It depends on who you ask. Like the majority of the population of Butte, he went to work at the Anaconda Copper Mining Company, where he was a contract miner, a skip tender, and a diamond driller. He said, I did every job in the mine from the top to the bottom, and I remember my first paycheck, $57 for a week's work. Ooh. Eventually, he, he, he kind of he did good, though, because he was promoted to surface duty, and it was here that he would drive a payload of truck. So this is probably the start of him driving... Um, big heavy machinery is around this time in 1956 that he chose his iconic nickname because he spent a night in the jail cells for reckless driving he was bunk buddies with a man named william kofel who had the nickname awful kofel and this led to him calling himself evil well not quite so he oh. was they weren't cellmates but they were in the cells next to each other so he is uh he was one of the he's actually chased by police like several times on his motorcycle. And so this particular occasion, uh, he was being chased by police, 1956, and he crashed his motorcycle. And so he was arrested, taken to jail, and charged of reckless driving. And so when the, uh, the nighttime police officer came around to check roll call, he called Robert Knievel in one cell and William Knoffel in another. And so the oh, guard- Oh, is that then, how you say it, Knoffel? Yeah, the guard made a no joke. Fell? You know, the guard made a joke. He goes, what a place. We got awful Knoffel over here and evil oh. Knievel over there. And so <laughs> Knievel then began referring to himself as evil Knievel. But instead of using evil, he ended up uh, misspelling it to be E-V-E-L. So he'd look less, less evil. But he did go by evil Knievel in the beginning. 
That's evil way is cool. Oh like, no, it's a way better evil? name than Robert Knievel. Yeah. Bob Knievel. <laughs> During this time, his dad had returned back to Montana, and with Iggy, they opened up a VW dealership, and they offered a job to Baby Evil, but he told them both to go fuck themselves, <laughs> which I think is very admirable. Good for him. He got a job driving the buses to and from the mines. So he's driving his workmates up and down the canyon roads, and it was here that he started his daredevil driving stunts. Soon all the miners, all his ex-workmates, they were like refusing to ride his bus. He was fired after he actually attempted to pull a wheelie with his payload of truck and it slammed down on a power cable and it cut supply to beat for the night. A wheelie in a truck. Yeah, like and how? a payload of truck. That's like dump truck, man. They're huge. How would you even do that? Like Dukes <laughs> no. a hazard or something. And uh, so what, what, can a high school what job can a high school dropout get next it's the army isn't it he joined the reserves he mainly actually did it to avoid the draft and although he was very athletic he was a pole vaulter on the track team his rebellious spirit was not a match for the army and he left as soon as his stint was up he bounced from job to job back in butte he would participate in local rodeos ski jumping events in the winter and he would run cons on the side to generate extra income so he would steal bikes he would crack crack safes uh, he was an expert um, safe cracker but never any major crimes evil said i had so much pressure on me i was scared to death i'd go to the penitentiary i said to myself when i looked in the mirror what is the matter with you that's how i imagine he said it <laughs> can't you live like a I'm reading it like i'm william shatner can't you live like a real person in society and i'm out to something in life he says that, yeah, he said that he threw his burglar tools and some dynamite that he had held of it. Like he's just like, I had some dynamite, you know, with my burglar tools. And I was like, ah, fuck it. And he made a vow to himself that he would never wrong another human being as long as he lived. Well, you can ask Vince McMahon about what happened How long did that vow last? About five minutes, because years later he did say that I can still crack a safe with one hand tied behind my back. I'm not proud of it, but I was always against society. Yeah, seriously, he's a grifter. He's just a, a yeah. born ne'er-do-well. But, I mean, if you look at the way he was brought up, obviously, uh, I think he had mommy but, issues. Montana. Yeah. Um, I think he had a, issues with authority. Yeah, well, he was definitely a rebel. He's 19 at this time. He's married to Linda Joan Bach, who I'm name. assuming is not a dog, but she is from Butte. So she's not, she's not unattractive. Like I love her last name, Bark. It's just that dog meme. It's not like you think of as a dog. You know, they, they got married young. He doesn't have a steady paycheck. Crowds will actually line up at local restaurants to watch him ride his motorbike. So because of this, he decides to start a hockey team because that's obviously what the next step. Um, yeah, that makes take. sense. And this would actually be his biggest con to date. He became the owner, coach, and starting center of the Butte Bombers, and he offered other players 50 bucks a game, although they rarely ever saw their promised money. I think it's funny, the name, the Butt Bombers. The Butt Bombers, yeah, I laughed when <laughs> I laughed when I said that. If I could find a shirt, I'm going to get one. Oh, me, you, and Steel, and JoJo should all get Butt Bombers. Butt like Bombers. Little matching jackets, but JoJo will rock it. The 1960s Winter Olympics was being held in California, and he managed to somehow convince the Czechoslovakian Olympic hockey team to play the Butt Bombers in the warm-up <laughs> round. And he held 
several fundraising events to get the cash needed for them to go to California. He was pocketing this money on the side. At the game, Evil was ejected minutes into the third period. He left the stadium. When the Czechoslovakian officials went to the box office to collect the expense money that the team was promised, workers discovered the game receipts had been stolen. (laughs) Evil had just, like, fucked off with them. It's like, this is my dollar, yo. It's like... Yeah, I mean, this he just could, like pretty much just like got the money and was like, yeah, I'm out of here. This could have become an international incident. It could have blown up. And so the U.S. Uh, Olympic Committee, they they hushed it over. They paid the team and Evil left the world of hockey uh, that night. He was like, I'm not playing hockey no more, but I'm still going to grift. Of course, I'm going to grift. He's like a born con man, this guy. Yeah, his first son Kelly was born and he tried to find steady work. The call of the wild was always there, though. He took a motocross. He promptly broke his shoulder and his collarbone. And and then after this, he became an insurance salesman. And he was really good at being an insurance salesman. Of course he is. He could sell ice to Eskimos. He's a grifter. But... This, he worked there for about nine months, and when they wouldn't promote him to vice president of the company, he just quit, and he upped to Washington State to start selling motorcycles. He's so, he's reckless. He's impetuous. No, he's definitely impulsive. It's weird, too, because he's got a family and yet making such rash decisions. But yeah, he was successful as an insurance salesman, even selling insurance policies to institutionalized mental patients. It's so- <laughs> like... He's like Jimmy Savile walking into Broadmoor. Now then, now then, who's going to buy some insurance? Well, because the mental patients really could use insurance. Um, but he wanted, because he was, you know, um, you know, um, making like these huge advancements in sales and, and, and getting bonuses and all this and blowing away records, he wanted recognition. And when the company didn't promote him, that's when he uh, decided to quit. But during the, that time, though, you know, or actually right before he became an insurance uh, businessman, he had burglarized businesses in that entire area that he sold insurance from like Montana <laughs> to Oregon. And uh, I read um, this interview with him in the New York Times in the early 70s. He confessed to it. He said, you know, when I was stealing, I'd go into a store and ask if they had fire and theft insurance. And I was pretending like I was selling them insurance. And if the man in the store said he already had insurance and if he had a bad attitude, he told me to get the hell out. Then I'd go back that night and I'd rob him. I never carried a gun, never hurt anybody except the insurance companies. And they're bastardly thieves anyway. It's true. <laughs> Where's the crime? So I'm saying victimless he, crime. He started to gain some infamy at this time for his promotional values. This is when he was at the, um, the motorcycle company. He'd jump mountain lions and rattlesnakes to sell bikes. And he formed a troop in 1966 called Evil Knievel and his motorcycle daredevils. And he started to hone his craft, but he was considered the star of the show. Yeah, he was definitely the, the breakout star there. Um, yeah. In the movie, Being Evil, the documentary, um, the Jackass documentary um, about evil, they, sh- they, they talk about how when he was with you know Evil Knievel and the motorcycle daredevils, one of his first stunts was to jump over a bunch of boxes of rattlesnakes but on that when he when he came down, he actually hit like two of the boxes and just threw rattlesnakes into the crowd. Oh, that's so funny. everybody started freaking out, and they were like running around trying to c- capture the rattlesnakes. But people already were talking about how much of a daredevil um, he was, and so anyway, he realized that you know 
if he was going to start his own troupe, he's going to have to hire more performers, stunt coordinators, and get other personnel. So he found a sponsor, a guy named Bob Blair, who owned a, a motorcycle company. He was a West Coast distributor for Berliner Motor Corporation. And uh, they, they sold uh, Norton motorcycles. And he, Blair offered to provide all the motorcycles, but he didn't want the name Evil. He wanted the, the name changed um, uh, to... Uh, no, actually, he was the one. Because initially it was Bobby Knievel and the motorcycle Daredevils uh, thrill show. And he wanted to change to Evil Knievel and his motorcycle Daredevils. But Knievel didn't want to be associated with Hell's Angels, which we're going to get to that in a little bit later. Um, yeah, he really didn't like the Hell's Angels. Oh, yeah, he didn't. And but he so, went um, to the Hell's Angels. Yeah, he asked Blair. So instead of going by Evil, E-V-I-L, he was like, can I go by E-V-E-L? Because that's not as bad. You know? <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> yeah. di- a different connotation entirely <laughs> because you use the word E. Um, but the big the big performance. And and so Evil Knievel and his motorcycle Daredevils did a bunch of like uh, stunts and festivals all up and down California. But the big performance was uh, February 10th. What was this, like 1967, I think this was? Or 1966 in uh, Barstow, California. And it was here he attempted a new stunt in which he would jump spread-eagled over a sp- speeding motorcycle. But he jumped too late, and the motorcycle hit him in the groin, <laughs> tossing him 15 feet into the air. And he was hospitalized because of this. Uh, but when he released, he returned to Barstow to do the whole stunt again that he started a month earlier. Uh, but then, I don't know, the other uh, guys in the crew ended up just being annoyed with him um, because his injuries kept preventing him from performing, so they just quit. And probably because he's an alcoholic asshole. Yeah, well. and he was also an alcoholic and kind of a dick. You know, you're talking about hitting him in the groin. All I can think of is Hans Moleman. <laughs> nothing hurts like a football in the groin. Bless. So he suffered an injury. He kept on biking. He went solo. So he's traveling from town to town to perform stunts and tricks. And to get ahead of all the other motorcycle stuntmen who were jumping animals or pools of water, he started jumping cars. He began adding more and more cars to his jumps. And he would return to the same venue, to the same town, to get people to come out and see him again. So, you know, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to jump seven cars. But next time I come to town, guys, you're going to see me jump 13 cars. They didn't have the internet back then. This is all people had I mean, they didn't even have television that that showed stunts like this. I mean, this kind of blew minds at at the time. Yeah. He suffered a serious injury during a car jump gone wrong in Missoula. He broke his arm and several ribs, but the publicity that he received was actually a windfall for him. And he booked bigger and bigger gigs where the crowds wanted to see him jump more and more crowds, uh, cars. So obviously when he's jumping more and more cars, injuries are going to become way more common. He'd break his wrist, his right knee and ribs all in one month in 1967. This was also the year that he received some form of national fame because he jumped 15 cars on ABC's Wide World of Sports. Yeah, in the uh, the the Being Evil documentary, they talked to Frank Gifford, who used to host that show, and he was just like, "Yeah, the guy's a maniac." He's like, he just yeah. cared nothing for his for his his livelihood. He's like, he'd break bones, break his wrists, and then get right back up and on the motorcycle and do it again. He is a daredevil. So it was while he was visiting uh, Las Vegas when he was 29 years old, he became enthralled with jumping the fountains at Caesar's Palace. He hounded Jay Sarno, hounded him, the hotel's owner, with hoax phone calls where he was posing as journalists 
It's like me putting on fake accents, looking for details about some motorcycle stuntman who was going to jump the hotel's uh, fountains. Jay Sarno, he was fooled by this ruse. He also saw the dollar signs and he ended up signing evil to set up the event. Well, I think this kind of shows you the P.T. Barnum-esque, you know, character that was evil. So at one point, yeah, he was a grifter. At one point, he was this rebellious daredevil. But also, yeah, he was a Colonel Parker, like self-promoting type, like P.T. Barnum. He was a carny. I mean, and so I actually find it kind of ingenious. He created this fictitious corporation called Evil Knievel Enterprises. And he had three fake lawyers that would be, that was him. And he would yeah. do different voices, and he would call Sarno, and he would be he would place uh, phone calls to him, claiming to be from ABC, uh, you know, American Broadcasting Company or Sports Illustrated, inquiring about the jump that didn't happen, as if they caught word that this thing was happening. And so Sarno was kind of like, "What is this? You know, there's this huge buzz going on here." And so he finally agreed to meet Knievel, and arranged for him to jump the fountains, uh, December thirty first, New Year's, nineteen sixty seven. But I mean, it's a huge, it was a huge thing. And, um, and uh, that's when uh, Knievel tried to get ABC to air the live event on Wide World of Sports, but they declined and said that if he had the jump filmed and it was as spectacular as he said it would be, because they doubted him, then uh, they would consider using it later. And so here's a, here's a picture of, uh, of evil, like going over the fountains at, um, at uh, Caesar's Palace. It's an iconic image. It is, it's cool. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy because just like, it's just like, he's like, he he goes and visits Las Vegas. Says, I'm going to go jump that thing on a Harley. <laughs> just crazy. Well, yeah, we'll get more into like his bikes and stuff in a bit. He made this jump. He cleared the fountains, but he came down short on the ramp's edge. Uh, so the crowd watched as his body like cartwheeled and spinned down the ramp. So it's probably kind of good that this wasn't shown live. <laughs> New Year's Eve. This was to be his biggest injury to date. He had a broken pelvis, a broken hip, a broken nose, a fractured draw, jaw. He had more broken ribs. Broken. He broke both wrists and both ankles. And the print and riff rumors are that he was in a coma for 29 days, but he actually did that for media publicity. Yeah, he wasn't actually in a coma. But yeah, the accident made him an instant folk hero. But it taught him a, uh, a crucial lesson. The more he crashed, the more people would watch him. So Knievel, had his, the entire jump was filmed by actor John Derrick and Derrick's then-wife, actress Linda Evans. And that gruesome reel shot from beyond the landing ramp showed how he spilled you know, and fell over and flipped over. And uh, that garnered global playback. And so Knievel used to say, nobody wants to see me die, but they don't want to miss it if I do. Now he's going to have to make the jumps bigger and better to keep the fame and the cash rolling in. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, uh, all these people took notice of uh, of evil now. I mean, they, they played on ABC White World of Sports. And so he became, he was kind of a growing star at this point. Definitely a household name in America. And so actor George Hamilton, who's in the Being Knievel um, documentary, um, said that he wanted to uh, do a movie about him. And so he commissioned a script from John Milius, um, who went on to, to write Apocalypse Now and Jeremiah Johnson. And uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so they did a, uh, a movie about, um, about Evil Knievel. So at the end of the movie, 
the the film's climax, he was actually going to um, ride his uh, XR750 Harley Davidson 129 feet over 18 Dodge Colts and one Dodge van lined up in California's Ontario Motor Speedway. And uh, at this point in the career, he wasn't even the main attraction. Like many of the people that were there were there for a NASCAR race. But it doesn't matter. I mean, this is like a, you know, a huge thing to see. And it was going to launch him from being a stuntman to like an, a stuntman from an opener to the main attraction. And so he actually set a new world record by jumping 19 cars um, at the Ontario Motor Speedway. And this was the, the footage was used in the Evil Knievel movie that uh, George Hamilton was in. And so it was kind of funny. There's a story in uh, the biography by Lee Monfield titled Evil um, where George Hamilton was spending time with Evil, kind of getting to know his character and was hanging out in his trailer. And so the like Jane earlier, Jane. yeah, prior to the dr- prior to the jump, this huge jump. I mean, this is like a record breaking jump. Um, Knievel was was wasted off a wild turkey and his hand was broken from a practice accident the day before. And so Hamilton was like, how are you going to jump with a broken hand? And Evil replied, I'll tape it to the handlebars. It's just logic, George. If your hand is broken, you tape it on. (laughs) And this is when he blew up after this. After that, talking, (laughs) you know, after this movie came out. I mean, he just became like a, a household star with merchandising and money. You know, at, at this point, this is when he was like really blowing up. Yeah, this is when he's buying planes. He's like, yeah, I mean, and, and he was flush with cash. He was buying yachts, planes, Cadillacs. Like, I mean, and and a ton of bikes. But obviously, when you, you get into these crazy heights, your downfall has to come. Evil had been talking about jumping the Grand Canyon long before the ill-fated Caesars Palace fountain jump that propelled him to the fame. The idea had come to him during a night of heavy drinking in 1966. Yeah, but it's when a friend, I like this story, because a friend jokingly suggested, said, he was like, oh, why don't you go and jump the Grand Canyon? You think you're so good at jumping stuff. And Evil was like, fuck you, I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump the Grand Canyon. Because of bureaucracy, uh, he actually couldn't get permission to perform the stunt. I actually don't think anyone's jumped the Grand Canyon. It's like the Simpsons episode, isn't it? Well, they're not going to let him. I mean, even since the 60s, he was haggling with the U.S. government over a plan to jump the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle. And negotiations dragged on for years. But they're just like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to give you a permit. Instead, he settled for Idaho's Snake River Canyon. And it was here that he would meet Vince McMahon. And it would be the beginning of the end for Evil Knievel. And uh, some financial difficulties for Vince. Um, but yeah, yeah, they never ended up, uh, he never ended up getting a permit for the Grand Canyon. So Evil at this point was a millionaire. I mean, he had a ton of money, uh, disposable income. And so he just purchased his own gorge. So he leased 300 acres of Snake River Canyon, Twin Falls, Idaho, for $35,000. Speaking of another arrogant man, uh, so Vince McMahon, he's back here. He's in the business of show, passed down to him from his father and his grandfather. And he had been in talks with Evil to promote him. So this is like the meeting of the real Carney and the conman. <laughs> Vince had flown out to Butte to talk shop with Evil. And as evident throughout all of Vince's entire booking career, he looked past the abuse that Earl, uh, Evil hurled at his wife and kids. And he just saw the dollar signs instead. He was like, you're a shit 
shit person, but it doesn't matter. We're going to make some money. Well, I think Vince McMahon was a bit of a shyster himself. I don't think he really cared about him being abusive to his spouse. No, he's never cared about any of the wrestlers or their personalities. <laughs> Vince McMahon Sr., who could spot a mark a million miles away, he agreed to bankroll 50% of the Snake River drum, but he was not quite true. He didn't trust Evil Knievel. So he brought in the big guns, and this is the owner of the boxing promotion company Top Rank Inc., uh, Bob Arum. Bob is as sharp as a knife, and like Vince Sr., he could also spot a mark a mile away. When he first met Evil, he said he didn't blink when Evil said that there are three kinds of people that I can't stand. New Yorkers, lawyers, and Jews. <laughs> Bob said to Evil that he was all free, and they kind of struck up a deal, and top rank were going to promote Evil's next jump. Ooh. Evil's going to get a huge payday for this jump. He's either going to get $6 million or 60% of all receipts, including gate and promotional sales, whichever was larger. He was given a $200,000 guarantee. This is 1970s money, so that he wouldn't back out. They reckoned that 50,000 people would be there to watch the live event, and 1.8 million would tune in to watch the show. Evil, he gushed it up for the press, and he said that he would actually net about 20 million for this jump. 20 million in the 1970s. Which is a ton of money at the time, although he already had <laughs> yeah. millions of dollars. Yeah. So it was it was weird. Like, I, I looked up, uh, it's in Being Evil, they kind of go, and this is a pretty major point of that film. Um, but also, uh, you can see a lot of pictures of this event in uh, Twin Falls, Idaho. And the scene on the cliff's edge kind of looked like a debauched Woodstock. Um, you know, there's densely packed group of people with, like, you know, fanatics that were huge fans, annoyed reporters, hippies, biker gangs, and anyone who was willing to pay $25 to go check out the spectacle. And there were sideshow acts, including a blindfolded motorcycle riding psychic. Oh, wow, that's my next job. A woman suspended by her hair from a helicopter and a high wire act near the canyon's edge by Carl Walenda of the famous Flying Walendas. Oh, no way. That must have been before their tragic accident. Yeah, it must have been right before it. That inspired Batman. So the event was flawed from the start. So you mentioned biker gangs. So we've got the Hells Angels here as security <laughs> men because that always works out well when you get the Hells Angels to come in and be your security. You're going to start selling beer on this day. Everyone's drunk. It's kind of a wonder that Evil was the only one who was hurt on September the 8th, 1974. Even a belly full of wild turkey couldn't stop the nerves as he was hoisted into his custom-built SkyCycle X2 rocket ship. I can't even believe he'd even get into that thing. And there's there's video footage of him just being kind of like hoisted, hoisted. literally. Like he was like Yeah, like by like a, a crane. He was like in this like little crane the seat and they're lifting him into this thing. But this rocket SkyCycle was a missile-shaped steam-powered two-wheeler prototype that they called the SkyCycle X1. It was developed by two engineers. And uh, yeah, it was steam. That's, a, that's what it was going off of. There was no engine, really. It was like steam-powered. So behind the cockpit, 77 gallons of water would be heated up to 740 degrees, resulting in a steam buildup that would be released via a, re a rear-mounted nozzle, pushing the craft at over 350 miles per hour. Why would you do this? <laughs> you have to question someone's mental faculties. Above, our, 
Aram said that the rocket ship had a dead man switch. If he got the rocket to the other side and he blacked out, the switch would give way, the parachute would come out and he would land. But he was so nervous. He kept saying that he was going to get killed. His hands were shaking like crazy. Finally, the engine starts and he panics. He lets the switch go and the parachute comes out right after the ship goes off the ramp. The ship goes 20 feet and it drops into the water. It went quite a bit more than 20 feet. 20 feet is like nothing. Print the myth, David. I don't know where you read it, but I read it like that he went at least like like uh, uh, 500 yards. I mean, he went far. And what what happened is, at least this is what the engineers said, and that's what they say in the documentary, that the drogue parachute prematurely deployed as it was leaving the launching rail. So it was causing a significant drag. And so even though the craft made it almost all the way across the canyon to the north rim, the winds pulling back on the, uh, the deployed uh, parachute caused it to be dragged, to drag back. And so we, it fell to the bottom of the canyon, but only a few feet from the water. So had he landed in the water, there's a high likelihood he might have drowned because he would have been trapped in this device. Right. But he didn't. He, you know, the, the, he, uh, he survived the jump with only minor physical injuries, surprisingly. Only evil knows that if he let go of that switch, the designer of the sky circle, like he did say, did say that there was a mechanical error after liftoff with the parachute. But maybe he had also been paid uh, paid off by evil. The parachuting rocket ship, it glided to a stop on the Canyon Vaux. Evil escaped the uh, jump with little injuries for once. So the live crowd, they're being controlled by the Hells Angels. These people are all drunk. They wanted to see blood, or they wanted to see more than just like a ship careening to a floor. Kind of anticlimactic, if you think about it. Totally. They ripped the place apart. They set fire to the place, telling news crews that it was all a ripoff. Not for evil, though. Evil was still pocketing the cash. And he, even though only about 15,000 people in the uh, actual thing had turned up to show for the live event, Less than half a million people had chewed in, way less than what they expected for this spectacle. It's kind of crazy that 15,000 people went to Twin Falls, Idaho, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And a lot of them were probably Hells Angels and yeah. Hells Angels buddies. Um, 2016, years later, Hollywood stuntman Eddie Braun actually successfully jumped the canyon in a replica of Sky Cycle that was built by the original engineers, the original engineers and his son. That's uh, funny. They called the bike evil spirit then was a replica of the sky cycle x2 and he I actually like successfully it. did the jump in the steam powered sky cycle <laughs> um but you know a few people um replicated evil's jumps uh travis pastrana from nitro circus he did three of evil's most famous jumps um he used an indian scout ftr 750 to jump 143 143 feet over 52 crushed cars i uh, wow. jumped 16 greyhound buses and he cleared the fountains at the great at uh, Caesar's Palace. It's like kind of pissing on evil's memory, isn't it? Like, yeah, look at me, I homage. can clear it. You fuck. Oh, Why it was more. You? It was more of an homage. Like Travis Pastrana said, he owed everything to evil. I know, but do it on a Harley, motherfucker, and then I'll be impressed. Well, he did it on the Indian Scout. That's what. Uh, um, oh, is that what, what evil yeah. wrote? Yeah. But um, evil did it first. Bob Arum, he managed to get some cash for himself from this failed jump, but Vince was left quarter of a million in the red. Ooh. He filed for bankruptcy two years later. He's been swindled by a hookster, and he landed, 
he learned some much needed lessons. Well, one point here though, it wasn't just that that led to his bankruptcy. He owed hundreds of thousands of dollars in back taxes that he never paid. We don't have to worry about Vince McMahon though. Today. Oh yeah, yeah. Today he is worth two point two billion. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> it's it was strange that the Hell's Angels were there. We were talked about it. Yeah, that is uh, odd. Because yeah, Evil publicly liked to shy away from the criminal element and especially his criminal background. He once stated that he wore white leather to distance himself from the dark side of motorcycling and to kind of draw a line between him and the Hell's Angels. His feud with the Hells Angels, it came to a head on the evening of January the 23rd, 1970 at San Francisco's Cow Palace. He was going to jump 11 cars, which would, would at the time would have been an indoor record when the announcer made the offhand comment that if the daredevil made the jump, he would set the Hells Angels back 100 years. What does that even that mean? Yeah, what does that yeah. even mean? I don't get it. The Hells Angels is a lifestyle. They're not, um, <laughs> it's like a they're not jumping things. Yeah. They're I live more in fear of like Hell's Angels um, than I would have ever of Evil Knievel back then. But what I don't get, was the guy trying to imply that if a Daredevil made the jump, then the Hell's Angels are going to look like pussies? Uh, yeah, actually, I think like, that's what he's saying, isn't it? <laughs> Which is an idiotic thing ridiculous, yeah. Making one percenters, baby. Well, a Hell's Angels member in the crowd... He didn't take kindly to this. He threw a tire iron at Evil <laughs> when he was making a practice run. And then Evil, never forgetting a face, he spotted the angel and he carried out his whiskey-fueled revenge. He said, I rode, I rode this motorcycle at this guy and I threw it down on that slick surface. I slid right into him and I knocked him ass over tea kettle. See, Isn't that now the that, whitest thing you could ever say? Yeah, but what a <laughs> badass. This guy kettle. just was like, here's a biker gang. And he just like rode his motorcycle into one of them. They all beat the shit out of him. But luckily the crowd like came to Evil's aid and they like pushed the Hell's Angels well, back I heard that, and they, they fucked off. I read the crowd beat the fuck out of the Hell's Angels too. So it was kind of a, it was a gnarly fracas. <laughs> it was, it was an all out riot. Yeah, it was a brawl. May the 26th, he comes over to Old Blighty, to dear London in front of 90,000 people in Wembley. He crashed whilst trying to land a jump over 13 London buses. I loved this fact. So Evil had been insistent that they use the term London buses because whenever you say that London buses, people automatically think it's the iconic red double-decker buses. But it wasn't. It's just like stagecoach single-story buses. Yeah, they're in London, but it's just single buses. They're nowhere near as big as a double-decker bus. Good look at the picture, though. It's still impressive that he was uh, riding his bike over 13 buses. Yeah, but I mean, 13 buses, that's like small fry to him. He's jumping 11 buses, 15 buses all the I don't time. Know how many, I don't but know saying double-decker buses, then buses. people go, whoa. I mean, but they're it's a buses good, I like from it. London, so... Yes, I get it, but it's it, it's semiotics in it, babe. But it's all Colonel Parker. I like it. He broke his uh, pelvis because he didn't land it. and But he insisted on leaving the arena on foot, and he announced his retirement, saying, ladies and gentlemen of this wonderful country, I've got to tell you that you are the last people in the world who will ever see me jump because I will never, ever, ever jump again. I'm through. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is, yeah, totally part of his it was a lie for the cameras because he's actually going to jump plenty more including 
literally jumping the shark inspired by the film Jaws. He was booked to jump a tank of sharks, but during rehearsal, he crashed, breaking both his arms, and he injured a cameraman. Yeah, I read that uh, uh, the cameraman, he thought he was going to have a permanent eye injury. He paid for all the guy's medical expenses, and the guy ended up recovering from it fully. But evil felt really bad because he doesn't mind hurting himself, but to hurt someone else. I guess he was upset about it. He didn't care if he hurt a shark, though. He was like, it's fine to hurt the sharks, but I can't hurt the cameraman. It's so bizarre that this guy who, I don't know, maybe successfully completed a third of his jumps, not even probably a quarter of his jumps. Like statistically, why would you jump over a bunch of sharks? (laughs) <laughs> like it's not gonna go well, dude. You can't even like land over thirteen buses. What do you think's gonna happen when you when you, you you fall into a pool full of sharks? It would be amazing to see Evil Knievel live on television get ripped Just apart. Get ripped apart. Um, but you know the thing is though, yeah. During that period after uh, after Wembley, and uh, when he said he was gonna retire, he still did a lot of jumps. He he kept he kept performing, and you know his his star never really fell. I mean. Uh, in, in what was the most watched episode of ABC's Wide World of Sports, Knievel soared over the great, uh, Greyhound buses at Kings Island, uh, which is uh, an amusement park in Ohio. This is October 25th, 1975. Nielsen said that just over half of all U.S. homes turned in to watch uh, Knievel clear 163 feet, a personal best and a record that stood for 24 years. Not even the famed 1976 title fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier could dethrone King Knievel's ratings that day. Um, the force of the landing snapped the frame of Evil's uh, XR750 in half, uh, but he was able to write it back to the landing ramp for, uh, ramp for the interview uh, where he told uh, Frank Gifford, I think I've jumped far enough. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, then shortly after was the... Uh, the ill-fated jumping the shark. But you know what's funny? That actually inspired um, Happy Days, the scene from Happy Days where Fonz uh, performed a similar trick, but over in water skis, you know, over a, a pool full or over, a, yeah, like a little area full of sharks in the bay. Um, that's what, uh, what, uh, where the, the, the uh, term jump the shark was coined. So maybe Evil did metaphorically jump the shark at this point. He did. In 1977, when Elvis had died, so too had Evil's stunt riding career. Sheldon Saltman, he released a salacious tell-all book called Evil Knievel on Tour. In the book, he detailed Evil's womanizing, his heavy drinking, his out-of-control behavior, and his very abusive relationship with his wife, Linda. Evil Knievel, he had archaic attitudes towards marriage and family life, and this coupled with his unbridled ego, it made Linda a second-class citizen in her own home. He beat his wife. That was not romance. Everyone in town knew about it. A neighbor, a neighbor of the evil uh, Knievels from Butte told biographer Lee Montville, Linda is just the nicest person. Linda is class. Evil was not class. They were married for 38 years, um, and then they divorced in 1997. How, how many times do you think he cheated on her? Millions. Yeah, countless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read I, somewhere um, that he had slept with over 2,000 women, according to his in count. The myth. Yeah. This shocked the public, right? Because Evil had always made a point of having a wholesome image. I mean, this is a man who sold toys to children. He preached anti-drug messages before his uh, jumps. Well, that was the right. thing with evil, which Elvis kind of did the same thing. It's like uh, they had this this image, this uh, peripheral 
image to people. But deep down, like, you know, behind closed doors, they were like doing drugs, getting hookers, you know. Elvis uh, wasn't doing that. Elvis always had a steady chick. Elvis was nowhere near as bad a fucker as Evil Elvis was was doing a hell of a lot of drugs. I don't think he was a grifter like Evil Knievel, but he did a hell of a lot of drugs. Yes, but back then, the attitude towards prescription drugs was very different to what it is now. Like if a doctor was prescribing it to you, it was safe. It was like the 1950s when they were doling out speed to the housewives. And that's why Elvis was like, I think Elvis take was what aware. Dr. Nick gives me. I think Elvis was aware of the effects of these drugs. Um, but at the same time, yeah, he was definitely no evil Knievel. But they both kind of had these core values that they represented to the public. And so throughout Evil's career and later life, he would talk about like, Keeping my word, that's how I would make my jumps. That's what's important. He preached bike safety and wearing helmets. And he always had like these these anti-drug messages. Because he was like, he could drink like a fish. He could have a cane that was yeah. basically a flask. But if you smoke marijuana, you're going to hell. This story is amazing. This is what caused his downfall. He had both his arms in casts <laughs> from the shark tank crash. That wasn't going to stop him. He flew to California. He was going to confront Saltman. He hunted him down and he began beating him with an aluminum baseball bat. He had like one of his mates held him down and he was shouting, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. According to a witness to the attack, he struck repeated blows at Saltman's head with Saltman blocking the blows of his left arm. His arm and wrist were shattered in several places for he fell to the ground unconscious took numerous surgeries and permanent metal plates in his arms um, before he could even regain the use of his arm. That's how badly he just beat him with broken arms. (laughs) October the 14th, 1977, he pleaded guilty to battery and he was sentenced to three years probation and six months in county jail for his frontier justice. After the Saltman assault and subsequent jail time, he lost his marketing endorsements and his deals, including Harley Davidson, who's Harvey Davidson, (laughs) and Ideal Toys. With no income from jumping or sponsorships, evil, like his old buddy Vince McMahon, he eventually declared bankruptcy. In 1981, Saltman was awarded a 13 million judgment against Evil Knievel in a civil trial but he never received any money from either Knievel or Knievel's estate. Yeah, I wonder if he ever went after it after uh, Knievel died and still never got any money. I actually didn't check that. I didn't check that to see if there. Saltman was still alive. But the, <laughs> I think Evil could have easily killed him. He's hitting him well, with an aluminum baseball bat in the head, and he is very lucky that this didn't become a murder. Well, not to mention, Evil had some connections. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so shortly after Evil's death, uh, the FBI released files uh, that was uh, that kind of showed you the type of character that Evil was and who he associated with. Uh, the Bureau's agents suspected that he was in the pocket of the mafia and that an organized crime syndicate was behind the promotions for many of his best-known stunts. Um, so I think he was definitely in the pocket of the mafia, owed a lot of money to them, but they also helped him out. Um, Knievel would intimidate any would-be rival at the time with violence, both threatened and real. So one victim received a threatening phone call from a, 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 an associate of Evil Knievel <laughs> and was soon after beaten so badly by a thug that he was hospitalized. 
Uh, rivals suffered beatings in a Kansas City motel room and in San Francisco. Uh, there are federal agents in Miami, Chicago, and California that collaborated on the investigation um, into uh, Knievel's business uh, records and his associations. Um, they also looked at his phone records as well. Um, agents would question Knievel, but he always had an alibi. Knievel say that he was not responsible for anything that happened, and they had no control over the thing. So he was somewhere else at the sa- at, at, at some time yeah, whenever yeah. these incidents took place, but the mafia, you know, they were uh, doing some damage. Um, you know, they, they had an investigation that spanned several years, but Evil was never actually charged with any of these crimes. Um, there was a rival stuntman named uh, Bob Gill, who was the victim of a violent assault masterminded by uh, Knievel and inflicted by mafia th- uh, thugs. But two years after the incident, I mean, he was beaten very badly. Like, he had to go through physical therapy. Um, he became friends with uh, Evil Knievel. Uh, he said, I was really, really mad at Evil over the whole thing. But he apologized to me at least 10 times. And he told me that it was out of his control. And I believed him. So it makes me wonder, like, if the mafia was handling his promotions, the mafia was obviously getting a huge cut. The mafia wanted to eliminate any of this competition. What if Evil's like, well, I'm friends with that guy. They're like, it doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure that Evil Knievel, the drunk might have said i want that guy gone (laughs) just once when he was drunk and that's all it takes isn't it bob gill was paralyzed after a failed stunt and uh he said he had uh evil knievel tried to introduce him to a doctor who could who actually ended up helping him walk again so i don't know but that that's the thing though um evil knievel definitely wasn't without his uh his crimes i mean the guy um yeah, I, I wouldn't say he was a wholesome character like he tried to portray himself. I mean, the guy like, yeah, beat Saltman, beat his wife, beat his uh, his uh, batter, his, his girlfriend after Linda, Crystal Kennedy. Um, he was uh, arrested for soliciting an undercover policewoman for immoral purposes in uh, 1986. <laughs> you know, um and Kennedy, his girlfriend, who he battered in 1995 and was charged with this, she declined to testify against him and then married him afterwards. That's bad wife syndrome, though, isn't it? That's yeah. Um, and it's as, uh, like, you know, as soon as, as early as 1999, which wasn't even that long ago, um, he died, what, 2007? Uh, he was arrested in California for carrying guns and knives in his car. He was sent to his community service for that. He was also pursued for $21 million in unpaid taxes. Hey, just like Vince McMahon, he's yeah. old buddy. <laughs> During the 80s, he drove around America in an RV. This is where his life has become. And he was selling artwork that he claimed to have made himself, but he definitely yeah, didn't right. make his, this artwork. He never <laughs> achieved the dizzying heights of his 70s stardom again. Well, he kind of ended up... Uh, Retiring from being a stuntman. I mean, at that point, he had been injured so many times. And he was also older, too. Um, So he was trying to help his son, Robbie Knievel, launch his career. And so his last stunt show um, didn't include even a jump. It took place in March 1980, Puerto Rico. um, And he was there with uh, just promoting Robbie. And he was finished his career as a touring companion of Robbie's. So he he would speak only... Didn't do any kind of stunt, and he was just, uh, you know, there promoting his son, kind of passing on the mantle, if you will. But, you know, that's the thing, like, uh, 
I, me and my brother both had the Evil Knievel. We had the Evil Knievel wind-up motorcycle, and we also, there were dolls. Like, we were talking to Steel about this, too. Steel had the Evil Knievel dolls, too. But uh, we also had, like, so we had an Evil Knievel doll, but we also had the Robbie Knievel doll as well, because he, he merchandised the shit out of his, uh, his image as well. Learned from his father. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start referring to us as touring companions. Touring I'm companions. I'm a speaking touring companion. Numerous, uh, he had numerous on-screen blood transfusions received during surgeries in his heyday in the 70s. Uh, this was commonplace for a lot of people. It left him with hepatitis C. The disease and years of hard drinking also ravaged his liver on top of the hepatitis. I wonder if the 2,000 women that he had sex with uh, contributed to hepatitis. Yeah, the, de- the definite 2,000 women that he had sex with. <laughs> Who is he? Warren fucking Beatty. <laughs> uh, Gene Simmons. So the years of crashes, multiple brain trauma, broken bones, all took, his, took the to- you know, its toll on, uh, on his uh, physicality. And so in 1980, he ended up retiring. And Knievel himself claimed that his body was, quote, Nothing but scar tissue and surgical steel. I mean, could you imagine? Like, I, I, I bet you just like, you know, we go through a metal detector at an airport, just set the whole thing off. Um, he had 15 major operations to repair nearly 40 broken bones, including his skull, pelvis, ribs, collarbone, shoulders, and hips. He had a titanium hip, aluminum plates in his arms, metal pins holding together many joints. He was in so many accidents, he sometimes broke the metal parts in his falls and had to get the metal parts repaired. He kind of reminds me of one of those artists' dolls, do you know what I mean, that you can learn for life drawing? The kind of, oh, like uh, the, an, an, anatomical the anatomically ones correct ones, bend. yeah. But they're like wooden yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's what he's reminding me of. February 1999, he was given only a few days to live, and he requested to leave the hospital and die at home. En route to his home, he received a phone call from the hospital stating that a young man had died in a motorcycle accident and he could be a liver donor. This is for his hepatitis. Days later, he received the transplant. 2005, he was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It's a rare terminal disease that causes scarring and thickening of the lung tissue. Doctors gave him just three years to live. In his final interview, Evil Knievel, he like waxed philosophically about his mortality. All my life, people have been waiting around to watch me die, but I'm still here. I really think that there is a hereafter and this is just a testing ground. I defy death and I'm still doing it. His health is failing badly. Maybe it was to do with all the broken bones that he had b- suffered from. You got to print the snake oil myth because he claimed there are claims, and even in the Guinness Book of World Records, they say that he suffered 433 bone fractures, whereas son Robbie says that his father told him it was 40 to 50 bones. And there's an interview with Evil with quotes where he says that the number is closer to 35. I think it depends what you uh, qualify a bone fracture as. Like, I mean, I've had a lot of bone fractures that don't even make a difference. Like, he probably broke like breaking bones. breaking your fingers then, and your toes. Yeah, he probably broke bones but then fractured. You know, a lot of bones and didn't even do anything about the fractures. In his final days, he turned to God. They he converted to Christianity. But I believe this is his final con. So a man who calls himself evil, proclaiming that he believed in Jesus Christ for the first time, was shown to an audience of over a million people on the television show Hour of Power. This show aired on April the 1st, 2007. April Fool's. <laughs> 
I totally think it's all a lie. It's a con. The guy broke his skull. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Give him a pass for believing in Jesus. What is not the myth is that his body was ravaged by the effects of type 2 diabetes. Mm. He'd had two strokes, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, alcoholism, and the after effects of the innumerable motorcycle crashes. He died in Clearwater, Florida on November the 30th, 2007 at the age of 69, dudes. Evil was a burglar, a prankster, a boozer, a user. He was a safe cracker, a card cheat, control freak. And ultimately, he's a con man that reached the greatest of heights that would have made P.T. Barnum and Colonel Parker breed, like beam with pride. He's the Elvis of the sky, the Liberace of the motorbike, and he's buried in his hometown of Butte. Say what you will about him, but he's probably the greatest daredevil that ever lived. I'm the original stuntman. There was no one that did that before him. I mean, the the guy broke barriers. Um, Sure, (laughs) he definitely had his character flaws, but a lot of people do. Um, in one of his last interviews, Evil Knievel told Maxim Magazine, this is like in 2006, you can't ask a guy like me why I performed. I really wanted to fly through the air. I was a daredevil. I love the thrill, the money, the whole macho thing. All those things made me Evil Knievel. Sure, I was scared. You got to be an ass not to be scared. But I beat the hell out of death. You're in the air for four seconds. You're part of the machine. And then if you make a mistake midair, you say to yourself, Oh boy, I'm going to crash. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Not at all. <laughs> His funeral totally reminds me of Huntress Thompson. Huntress Thompson's funeral. It was a total show. Country music was played. Frank Sinatra's My Way was piped over the sound system before a line of mourners filed past his open casket. In his casket, he's wearing his white leather jacket with red and blue trim. Red, white, and blue fireworks, they were exploding in the sky. And Matthew McConaughey, a friend and lifelong fan, he led the mourners with a eulogy, saying, he's forever in flight now. He doesn't have to come back down. He doesn't have to land. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) I had no idea that uh, McConaughey was such a big fan. But I don't know. I mean, I understand you don't like Evil Knievel that much, but that guy was the original badass. And it's hard to find anyone who's tougher than that dude i, mean, I like him shit. but i do think he's a total and utter cunt I, like just i agree with that i mean abusing guy, his wife abusing his children makes him a total paying mafia cunt. guy or like being in the pocket of mafia guys yeah but at the same time you can't downplay what he did what he oh, was no, what he not. represented he is I mean, an icon yeah he's, he's an also iconic a cunt. legendary figure and i wouldn't say by any stretch of the imagination that he's a phony um, I would say he's a, could be considered a hypocrite, but I mean, he oh, was yeah. the one that was on those bikes taking those falls. You know, I wouldn't say he was even that great of a motorcycle, like stunt man. Like you look at the guys doing it now, everybody could do those stunts like four times over, but he was doing it first and he was doing it in a Harley. And he was wearing an Elvis inspired jumpsuit. Yeah. I do love that about him. Anyway, people go check out that documentary, uh, uh, being evil it's 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 pretty good i mean the guy led a fascinating life he's a complex character um but yeah check it out uh, this is episode 839 here sick and wrong got some phone calls coming up next 323-522-4032 uh you know we've been asking people to send in calls about their worst accident kind of kind of goes with the theme of, of uh, this week's yeah. show i um, mean we did get a good call 
uh, coming up about a horrific accident. So before we get to that, here's a quick message. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we got a few phone calls to get to. Uh, people, call the Sick and Wrong hotline, 323-522-4032. We are doing somewhat of a competition. I got a bunch of Adam and Eve stuff. Actually, uh, we Ryan Keeley gave me this like crazy jack-off, like Swedish jack-off dick-suck machine called the Handy. It's pretty big. Like It would be hard for me to, to, to mail it out to... To England, I'd have to bring it with me. So, oh, imagine bringing that for customs. Steel said <laughs> that it reminds him of the machine in ten minutes to midnight, and I kind of agree. It's crazy. It um, is. It is a jack-off machine. I don't even know what it is or how it's even used. Um, but she gave it to me, and she's like, "Yeah, give this to your fans." So I might do that. I have some other things too. I also got some T-shirts. So if you call in three two three five two two four zero three two. With the most horrific injury. You know, the bar set kind of high because we had Adam from Tokyo with a pretty good one. And this week, Christopher Siege calls in. It's a long one, so we're only playing one call. Um, awesome. But here's a story about an injury involving Christopher Siege. Love his Your call. readings, D and Kate. Siege here, calling in to answer Adam from Tokyo's call to action about disgusting stories about uh, uh, things that have happened to you. I usually try to keep my calls that I send in under three minutes, but this is a multi-tiered story, so it might run a little long. Just a fair bit of warning there. Uh, so back in 2003, when I was 18, um, a friend of mine and uh, some other dude from our school uh, got into a big fight in uh, this one chick's house, and it ended up turning into like a big, like fucking brutal brawl between, like I think there were seven of us in total. There was like... My buddy, me, and our friend, and this other asshole, and like three of his friends. Canada. Uh, did you, were you ever involved in any kind of brawl, like a fracas like that? No, I, I've been to hundreds of house parties, and never once has it turned into like a violence on Vancouver Island situation like this. In Bay City, there were four or five high schools. So we were Essexville Garber, the Garber Dukes. And then there right. was the Bay City, God, I can't think of the name of their mascot, but there was Bay City Central, there was Western, there was St. John's, there was John, there were a bunch of different other high schools. And so sometimes we would cross paths and there would be a rumble. And so I remember <laughs> one time we went to this girl's, I didn't even know who this girl was, but she was having this huge party. Her parents are gone. And there must have been like five high schools worth of kids there. And a brawl broke out. And it was, it was bloody. I mean, we broke, we destroyed this girl's house. And I think it stopped because someone threw a beer and it hit a girl that I went to high school with, Tanya, like in the head and like fractured her skull. And everyone just like, yeah, it was like a full beer. Someone just whipped it. And yeah, they had to call like an ambulance. We all, we all got the fuck out. But I just remember. We're quite, we're docile in Britain, mate. Like, 
we would have rhyming songs about our schools that were our enemies, but we wouldn't actually go and ever start fights with them. We would yeah, just have right. our rhyming If someone songs. insulted the queen, there'd be headbutting for sure. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Insult the queen. <laughs> I wish her death. Uh, I, the, the reason why I turned into this big brawl was because uh, the one dude who was fighting with my friend uh, straight up. The, the fight started in the like upstairs of the house and he straight up like threw him down a flight of stairs uh, into the basement. So like we all followed them down. And then like, as I was like, as we got down there, the uh, uh, dude had like my friend's neck, like pressed right up against the stair and was choking him. So I intervened and then obviously buddy's friends intervened and, uh, yeah, it got fucking brutal. It was like a straight up like WWF hardcore battle royale, except we were actually like beating the shit out of each other. Like, I uh, broke perfectly normal for high school students. It's how you get your your anger out. I, in the background, I'd have been going, "Use the chair, use the chair." <laughs> a pile drive or something. Wooden chair over a guy's back. Another yes! person got hit in the <laughs> face with a baseball bat. I ended up grabbing one of the uh, uh, legs of this chair that I had broken and like hit a guy in the face with it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, brutal. I like took a dude and like smashed his uh, face, like smashed his head into a brick wall, which was kind of one of the things that started to bring the fight to the end because it ended up giving him a concussion and. This isn't me like trying to brag like, oh, like <laughs> listen to how big of a tough like badass I was. I stopped the fight with the head crushing incident. Um, this is a, a Canada brawl. This is amazing. Yeah, the, the, this is like a high school brawl. Like this is kind of how it went down at this girl's house. You know, like, I imagine in between every punch of the other guy's face, he was going, sorry, A, eh? sorry, A, eh? <laughs> every time. <laughs> I just remember some dude for not even, I mean, we're in this girl's, it was, she obviously was in high school, so it was her parents' house, and someone just for no reason grabbed the microwave oven and just threw it into the mom's, like, display case, like, of China, oh. her China hut. She was just glass her shattering everywhere. Her gone. Well, it was China, like, you know, she had, like, her China dishes. Yeah, but that would be, like, destroying my porcelain zoo. Yeah, I just remember watching it being like, that's cool. But it wasn't. No, <laughs> I, uh, never have children is the uh, the answer. Yeah, to this. exactly. To both these stories, never have children. No, like the reason why I fought like this was because I was a terrible fighter, and we were outnumbered. And this is me, me actually like uh, like like us like using weapons and shit like that was the only way we even stood a chance. So, uh, yeah, I ended up like uh, with a big like cut on my head that had to get stitches. Oof. I like had got knocked down and had like a pool of blood around me and um at one point this one guy like uh it called me a fat fuck and um like i i had had weight issues when i was a kid so like i was a little sensitive to this so i ended up just like f like just fucking like tackling him to the ground and just fucking wailing on him just <laughs> punching him repeatedly in the face so after we we leave we end up going to uh uh one of buddy's uh girlfriend's houses and we immediately i wonder if they was siege were you in a gang like did you guys have a gang like a name like did you have jackets and a tree house like i want to know if there's like a gang oh they were totally called the canucks the yeah. crazy canucks satan's helpers like I, yeah i want to do you guys have jackets with like embroidered names on the back. 
they should like get in the middle of the day we just start drinking like vodka and kool-aid because we're all like <laughs> amped up and, like we want to get like, Jim Jones. at this point and uh at one of the girls that was at the house just like looks down at my hand and is like just freaks out and she was like oh my oh my god dude what the fuck is wrong with your hand so i look down at my right hand and there's just like blood everywhere and one of the metacarpal bones in my hand was sticking out Uh, straight up like sticking out broken uh, through the skin and uh so i ended up having to have my my hand operated on and it was in a uh uh, it was in a cast for se- series of casts for. It's crazy. Like he was so amped up on adrenaline or whatever that he'd even like look down and booze. He even look down and see his bones sticking out of his hand. Oh, That's always Jesus. the gnarliest of breaks as well. Like fair enough breaking a bone when the bone stays inside of you. When the bone starts protruding out of you. That's gross. Well, like he broke his hand smashing some guy in the face. So I wonder what the guy's face looked like. I also wonder if he ever ran into any of these guys again that he was brawling with. Yeah, I want to know that too. And if they were permanently disfigured from the incident. Several <laughs> months, they put like a bunch of wires in, in like actually inside my hand. To, Just like Luke Skywalker's hand. To, uh, reset the bone. But when eventually when they went to go and and these so these wires were actually sticking out of my knuckle because the idea was that they would just pull them out when the time came. But what ended up happening was my skin had actually like healed over the wires. So uh, without any uh, anesthetic or anything, because uh, for some reason, like they they just couldn't like numb like that area for whatever reason they without anesthetic they ended up having to like cut my knuckles open and take pliers while i'm awake and uh pull these wires out of my hand uh that 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 was a fun day and then i found out uh, uh, a couple years later that uh because of this fight and because like at uh impact that i took to my face at one point i ended up having a uh abscess tooth like one of my teeth like partially broke and it ended up turning into an abscess tooth that apparently had like so i ended up having to get root canal to get it fixed but apparently the like infection and rotting in it was so terrible that it actually killed all the nerves in like a couple of my teeth so People talk That's about handy. how uh, awful root canal is, but I actually didn't really feel yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to say, it's probably I, fortuitous. All, all of the roots and nerves in my teeth were dead at that point. Uh, anyway, that's my contribution. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Bye-bye. Jesus, Siege. That was gnarly. I like, I like seeing how grossed out you were when he was talking about the skin. That, I hate that medical shit. I hate medical shit. That was a great phone shit. call. But it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. Ah, uh, just the idea of cutting into the skins, pulling out wire—it it just makes it like is giving me like it's making me wretch. I actually saw one of my old friends had like um had the the bone in one of her toes was like growing skew with. So they kind of did what Siege had done, and they like shoved wire into this toe, and then after six months, they were like, "We're just gonna yank it out." Um, and she said, do you want to come with me? I was like, sure, I fucking do. You we watched smoked... it? Yeah, we smoked a big fat dupe. And then I sat at the end of the toe end. And I watched the doctors get a pair of pliers. They couldn't give her an anesthetic or anything. And they just pulled this piece of wire out of her toe. And like, 
you think it's going to be short. I thought it was just going to be like the Lepvato, but they just kept pulling it out and pulling it out. <laughs> and she was going, ah, and she has a really high pain threshold. So Jesus I was like, fuck, it must be her. And if she's like screaming and I was just stood there going like, whoa, at the end. I mean, I don't know. I just, I can't. I don't have the stomach for medical shit. Like, I could never be Yeah, you don't. So this is why all these phone calls are going to be great yeah. for you. Like, and I remember I, I, I had, like, a, a weird cyst on my knuckle. Like, this, it was on my knuckle of my, I guess, my ring finger on my right hand. Right. And uh, it was weird. Like, I had it for a couple of years. And I'm like, I wonder if I should get this checked out. It wasn't a cyst. It's it's called, like, um like a ganglion. Was it, I like, forget. a polyp or something? No, it's not polyp. It grows, it can lead to like severe arthritis, but it's like a ganglion uh, of nerves, like a nerve bundle or something. It was a ganglion. So <laughs> the doctor was like, yeah, we got to cut it out. And so I went there and like I got my hand, like you're just sitting there, you know, it, it, I'm just sitting down and I got like, it's almost like at one of those desks you had in high school and like my hands just on this ta- on this like little table thing dainty yeah and i'm just sitting there and the doctor's like all right and he anesthetized the area but he's like so you know what you have to think about it that it's not your hand like it's someone else's and i'm like it, that's not really helping i couldn't even look at it like as you cut it open there's blood everywhere you could see the oh bone. i would have watched oh my god i thought it made me white like i thought i was gonna pass out it was so yeah, that- fucking gross my dad was once, uh, as a member aside, my dad was once uh, typing on his computer. He used to do a lot of typing. And he heard, he said he audibly heard a snap sound, like when somebody steps on a twig. It made that type of sound. And then he looked down, and his two middle fingers on his left hand, his middle and his ring finger, were bent inwards, and he couldn't move them. So he was doing the devil sign. Oh, just a, it was a useless finger, like the tendon The, the fingers, had like yeah, the tendon had snapped. Uh, inside his hand and he was like what the fuck he said it was completely painless for about 10 minutes and then it, like the the fear set in and he went to hospital and they were just like yeah your tent you've snapped your tendon what have you been doing he was like he was said typing his, was his but he might finger? have been doing something else was it his diddle finger I'm sure your He's mom a- didn't like that well, he hadn't diddled my mum since about what? When was my younger brother born? 1986, I think, was the last time that he'd ever diddled my mother. So maybe it didn't matter. Maybe he didn't diddle others. Diddle others, yeah. But he, to repair the tendons, they said, we're not going to put you under. We're going to have you sit at like kind of like a table. You'll be awake. We'll give you an anesthetic. But they went in the front side of his hand and repaired the tendon. And he just sat and watched them do it. And he said it was really. He said it was super fascinating to God. see. He was like, how often do you ever get to see inside your hand? I was like, well, hopefully never, Dad. Yeah, I wouldn't want to watch that. That was cool. You saw them. And he said when they reattached the tendon, his fingers just like sprang back to life, like before his eyes. It's so weird that you could snap Isn't your tendon. Weird? Just, yeah, typing like that. And I wonder how much booze he was drinking when that happened. I, I think... Probably a fair bit that it took him <laughs> 10 minutes before he started to feel the pain. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Chris, for Siege. That was a hell of a brawl. Hell of a brawl. Love I don't know if I've calls. seen anything that violent. When I, I mean, usually when brawls happen in high school, they'd be like, it'd be a, we, we, it was almost like a, the outsiders. It'd be like a rumble. Like, Bay City Central kids are going to be at this park, and we're going to show up, and we're going to fight them. <laughs> And usually, I mean, it all ended up like a couple kids would fight each other and then the cops would come and we would all run. I mean, it was Honestly, never like never that. we never had any of that. 
Oh, no. We Not had, in our we schools, on it. it was never anything like that. Oh, no. It was always like different schools up against other schools. Or it'd be at a party. Was it usually like if you had a party, you know, you were at an Essexville party. It was only Essexville people there. But if other kids showed up, then it was a turf thing. As it. So would it be like a Romeo and Juliet situation where if you're at Garba but you wanted to like uh, shag or a girl date a girl or like another one? Well, yeah, that's usually what like happens. You're running the the gauntlet. Well, that's usually what happens. Like a girl from our school would be dating a guy from like Bay Central or you know or something, and so he'd show up with his friends at her party, and we would be right. there, and we'd be like, "Fuck you," and then we'd just be a big fight. <laughs> I mean, not Why can't me, you fuck not, somebody from our own school? Not Why don't you fuck per, Dave Kessler? Well, not me in particular. Like, I never <laughs> would start this because I didn't really care. But if it was my friends getting their asses beat, I had to jump in. You know, and so it was usually, that's usually when it started. But I do recall there being a few times when it's like, rumble tonight. You know, it's going to be a brawl. And it'd be at a park or like the, the Kroger so parking lot or something. It was just stupid. But I can't recall any situation as violent as that brawl so kudos to you there Christopher Siege yeah that was gnarly Canadian wrestling man um people call Sycamore Hotline 323-522-4032 we want to hear about your gnarly injuries I already kind of did my spiel on the Patreon we do support you or we do appreciate you supporting our show and uh keeping us going um and we give back believe me this weekend's second show you don't want to miss this we had John Steele as the guest, because we haven't caught up with Steele in a while, not since the holiday show. Um, and we covered this news story uh, that Louise sent in on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about. It was about a woman who killed two cyclists while uncontrollably defecating in her car. Like she was driving and she just started shitting everywhere and mowed down a couple of cyclists. And that story prompted Steele to tell us a very personal story. It was weird. I haven't <laughs> seen him open up like that. A very He personable... was literally opening up. Yeah, it was about a similar situation. I mean, no one died, obviously, but he was a late night drunk at a Taco Bell in mid-Michigan, and there was some uncontrollable defecation that occurred. It was a very touching <laughs> and revealing story, and just this, like, this moment with Steele that I don't think we've had. You know, only on the second show, people. You got to go check that out. Um, that's only five bucks a month, literally. Five bucks a month, and you, you get that. And then for a few bucks more, you get our Sick and Wrong News segment. This week, we uh, talk about Gilbert Gottfried's passing. And I got a clip of his real voice that Howard Stern played. Oh, Have right. you ever heard it? Okay. It's weird. No. Yeah, it's creepy. Um, and then uh, Molly Shannon from Saturday Night Live has a story where she had to lock herself in a hotel bathroom to escape Gary Coleman's relentless sexual advances. Oh, that's terrifying. I would have locked myself in a bathroom anyway. It is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Sick and Wrong News. We do our weekly Sick and Wrong News Roundup. Um, and uh, and then also, uh, at that level, if you uh, support us uh, on, on Patreon, you get the Sick and Wrong Overkill. And this week, um, Kate Rambo does a whole profile about Brandon Lee, your uh, your crush. He is my crush, and currently there is a debate be- on on the Discord because D has said that Brandon Lee is not attractive. He's weird looking. He's got a really he long, is, weird he face. He's hot as fuck. What the, not what hot. the fuck do you mean? You're saying that you would shag Bruce Lee and I would shag Brandon Bruce Lee's Lee. much more attractive than Brandon. It's all about Brandon Lee. He is shaggable as fuck. 
I'm Satu's dad. Beg to differ. Uh, people, you can weigh in on that one. Um, but anyway, sign up for Patreon. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate the support. You are seriously keeping the show going. Um, also, in T Public Store, I put up a couple new designs. I got a Stinkor shirt I finally made. Uh, you know, it's kind of Mighty Boosh inspired. But you can check it out. Definitely not one of my best pieces of work. But it's not bad. Oh, I like it. I like it. And I also uh, copied another shirt that I saw someone else wearing that I couldn't find online. Uh, Satan is waiting. So anyway, um, you can go to uh, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. And you can pick up some Sick and Wrong merch. I do believe there's a sale going on right now, surprisingly. <laughs> um, finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. I was trying to find something Evil Knievel inspired. And uh, I did come across... There's a few Evil Knievel songs out there. Um, there's one, uh, a recent band did a song called Ballad of Evil Knievel, which I think was in a movie. Um, there's a couple others, but this one's the best. It's Evil, Evil, Evil Knievel by Eddie Carr and the Navajos. Came out in 1968, very 60s. I'm sure Evil probably uh, you know, played this all the time when he was beating his wife. Anyway, <laughs> uh, people, thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, enjoyed this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 840. Till then, take it sleazy.
Steele. Are you, can oh, you hear Steel. us? Hello. I have been listening to you two dipshits talk about Evil Knievel. <laughs> yeah. Weird? Did you like Evil Knievel? I loved Evil Knievel. I was going to bring that up on the second show because Kate thinks he's a grifter and a phony. But, dude. Well, he was. I mean, Evil, he's cool. He wasn't but he a, was phony. a grifter. And he a made phony. those fucking jumps. I mean, he didn't land them, but he made those he jumps. He didn't land them on purpose. That's why I'm saying he's a phony. I don't know if it was on purpose. He was jumping. He's no he was on purpose. He was no Super Dave Osborne, but he was. Uh, no, uh, do you remember? Do you remember the Evil Knievel dolls, Dave? Oh yeah, I had me and my brother. Did you have the motorcycle that you could spin up and like it would just like jump? It had like I don't know. It had this thing that would just kind of wind it up and then you let it go. Yes, and it would make jumps. That's yeah. the one I had. Me and my and brother it, had that. It, it would go about two inches and fall. <laughs> it would never fall like over. actually jump shit. <laughs> I, we tried to make it jump, and then it broke. It always like we. I think we probably had three three of them, and it just broke. But we had the doll, like I had a Robbie Knievel doll. Remember the son? Oh, yeah, I forgot. His son did it too, didn't he? He kind of passed a mantle on to his son. Oh, wait. Yeah. So, so Robbie, his son will have been the third Robbie Knievel because that's his real name and his dad was called Robert. So he's Robert Knievel wait, the third. Evil first name is Robert. He's his real name is Robert Craig Knievel. Oh, okay. I yeah. never knew that. I didn't, I didn't know his name was Robert. Yeah, no, Robbie Knievel is in... Steele, do you see that documentary, Being Evil, with... Uh, uh, I think the Jackass guys did it. Knoxville produced it. It's kind of cool. It's yeah. just about his life. But they interview Robbie, and he looks like such a dirtbag now. He kind of looks like one of the, like a, an 80s rocker that's reformed. Wasn't... If I remember right, like, Evil Knievel is just a normal size guy. If I re, wasn't Robbie, like, a fat ass? I don't remember. Wasn't he kind of fat? His kid. I'm looking him up. I can't recall if he was for, fat. for a daredevil. I mean, wasn't he kind of a fat to be a daredevil? I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. He kind of looks like Johnny Paycheck. No, he's not Robbie? fat. Steel. He's a uh, okay. I, mean, I thought he's he. Like, I, must... I thought yeah. he was kind of fat in the. He's uh... fucking ugly, though. I'm gonna say yeah, that. He was kind of fat <laughs> later on, though. His, <laughs> his dad was handsome as shit. I thought. Right, here's yeah, a picture Evil of Robbie. Was a handsome man. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a picture of Robbie. Like later on, he's kind of chunky. You know, he is a bit a bit chunky, but he doesn't look like he looks a bit like Johnny Paycheck and um, Dwight Yoakam in Slingblade. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. I mean, if I remember right, Robbie never like like Evil Knievel kind of looked the Daredevil part. He was kind of like kind of had the ruggedly handsome looks. And if I remember yeah. right, like his kid just looked like some fat kid that would be wearing a T-shirt in a pool at a school pool party that people would be making fun of. Like he didn't. If I, I might be thinking. It's been such a long time. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah. But I remember right. He didn't really fit the daredevil look that you would equate with a daredevil. But maybe you it's just because evil set the standard. Maybe. Well, in, but that's when the I thing. Who was before this, evil? I found out that evil Knievel um, bankrupted Vince McMahon. Did you know about this deal? I didn't know. About didn't that. he? Didn't evil show up at one of the WrestleManias or something? Yeah, that was years late. I think because uh, Vince McMahon was totally in awe of Evil Knievel. So when uh -huh. he could work for him and promoted him, this is actually one of the like the cons that Evil Knievel pulled off. It was um, it was this. He met him at the Snake River Jump, and then they went in oh. uh, to business together. Mm -hmm. Evil bet against himself not making this jump that they all promoted. Vince McMahon had no money at the time. He put all of his savings into this. <laughs> Evil betted against himself that he wouldn't make the jump. He didn't make the jump. He made like $250,000 and Vince McMahon went bankrupt. 
that's that's a great scam to better get take a dive i mean that's that's as old as his time to bet on yourself bet big money take a dive and then you reap the rewards of winning uh, you know your uh in the gambling world that's a that's a great move if you think about though it makes sense because he never was able to land any of those jumps so odds are he's probably not going to land that one 